0: Hello. Welcome to the Myths of the Norse. Chapter 7. A quest for love and a quest for beer. Frey, god of the Vanir, son of Njord, entered the Hall of the Allfather. He was not supposed to be there, but there was no one around so he figured it would be okay. He sat himself down on Odin's high seat, Hylidskjalf, and looked down over the worlds. Before a few seconds had gone by he wished he hadn't, As he gazed down into Jotunheim, he spotted the most beautiful woman he had ever seen. The light seemed to glance off her arms and illuminate both the land and the sea. For Frey, the lady appeared to make the whole world a brighter place. The hall in which he had seen the object of his desires was the court of Gimir, a rather aged giant. The young lady was his daughter. Unknown to Frey, her name was Gerd. Frey moped away from Odin's Hall and returned to his own dwelling. There he sat himself down and gave up to the misery which seemed to consume him. He wanted this lady, and he wanted her above all else. But how was he even going to get to meet her? Frey stopped speaking. Every day was silent. He refused to eat or drink and simply snarled at anyone who came anywhere near him. His family quickly became very worried. His father and mother decided that they had to act, and sent for Skirnir, Frey's page and childhood friend. You need to talk to Frey, said Niord. He refuses to eat, drink or even speak. Go to him, pleaded Scardi. Find out why the wise, fertile one is so angry. And so Skirnir went to see Frey to find out what was wrong. The god of the Vanir broke his silence and told him. After describing how the daughter of Gimir lit up the nine worlds with her radiant beauty, he told his friend that he loved her with all his heart and he had to have her as his wife, but he had no idea how to go about it. No god would agree to the union. Then he seemed to change his mind. Go and get her for me, he commanded. Skirnir thought for a moment. Give me the horse which can carry me in the pitch darkness and the sword which fights by itself and I will make her yours. Frey didn't hesitate. He gave Skirnir the horse which could carry him in pitch darkness and his magical sword which could fight all by itself. The last action he would come to regret at Ragnarok the final battle. But he was too consumed with passion to think properly. It didn't take Skirnir too long to reach Jotunheim and find the courts of Gimir. There were several savage-looking dogs guarding the entrance, and the page thought twice about entering. He came upon a herdsman and asked him how he could get past the dogs and seek an audience with Gerd. The herdsman laughed, "You will never have a conversation with the fine daughter of Gimir," he said through his mirth. "You are doomed." or you're dead already, or perhaps you're just mad. Forget your folly and go home. Skurnia galloped away, just pausing enough to say over his shoulder, the time of my death is already decided. I would rather be fearless with the life I have than be faint of heart. He didn't have time to see if the huntsman would reply, because someone else had heard the commotion. Gerd asked a servant what was going on. The servant replied that there was a man at the gate dismounting from a horse. Gerd had a faint feeling that her brother's killer was outside, but asked the servant to let the visitor in anyway. This the servant did, and Skirnir entered Gerd's hall in the courts of Gimir. There he found the daughter of Gimir dressed entirely in white. When he looked at her, Skirnir realized why Frey was so smitten. "Who are you?" asked Gerd. "Are you an elf or one of the Varnir?" "No, my lady, I am neither. I come with a message from the mighty Frey. He has seen you and he loves you." I bring eleven golden apples for you, if you will consent to give him your favour. Gerd was offended. Take your apples and get out of here. I will not accept gifts in return for my love, not from Frey or any other man. Skirnir was not perturbed. Perhaps you will change your mind for this. I offer you Draupnir. He proffered the arm ring. It's not clear how he managed to get hold of it, given it was one of the treasures of the gods... But he had it, and he was prepared to give it to Gimir's daughter if she would consent to be Freys. Every ninth night, eight more rings will drop from it, equal in beauty. I have plenty of gold, I told you. No gift can buy my love. Skirnir had changed tack. Do you see this sword? If you don't do as I ask, I will hack off your head. Gerd was no more moved by threats than she was by presents. She waved him away dismissively telling him that her father would skin him alive. Skirnir merely smiled and informed her that he was quite happy to use the sword on Gimir too. And then he went for it. He produced probably the longest, nastiest and most inventive threat ever made. And this is what he said. "Gerd, you will do what I say. If not, I will strike you with my wand which will tame you. You will never meet or talk to another person ever again. You will sit every day from early morning on an eagle's mound. You will stare down at the gates of hell and wish you were there. Every bite of food, every sip of liquid will taste vile beyond your imagination. You will become frightening and disgusting to look at. Even the frost giant Hrimnir will gape open-mouthed at you, so hideous will you be. You will be more famous than Heimdall, the Watcher of the Gods. Everyone will flock to gawk at you. You will suffer tears and torment, madness and unbearable desire. All day and every day, fiends and spirits will taunt you and pick at you. Every day you will crawl to the halls of the frost giants, without choice and without hope. You will swap the happiness you should have had for grief, and you will weep with longing for what you should have had. You will never have a husband, and instead you will spend your life with a three-headed giant. May you waste away pining. You will be like a thistle which is crushed at the end of a harvest. Now, anyone would have thought this was enough, but Skirnir wasn't finished. "'I went to the woods and found this staff, and I curse you with it. Odin is angry with you. Thor is angry with you. Frey, who loved you, will hate you. You have unleashed the wrath of the gods. Frost giants, ogres, sons of Suttung, listen to me. I forbid this woman from meeting any man. Grimnir is the name of the three-headed giant with whom you will spend your life. You will drink the urine of goats and live among foul corpses.' I have inscribed a charm on you. On top of all I have said, you will be seized by longing, raving and lust. This is my curse. Gerd had had enough. She managed to do an about-face without seeming to bat an eyelid, frightened though she must have been. Never did I think I would love one of the Varnir, but I see that I am meant to be with the son of Njord. Please sit down and drink the ancient mead from this crystal cup. Skirnir drank, but he still had to seal the deal. I will ride home and tell my master that his love will be honoured to be with him. Tell me where and when you will meet. Gerd spoke softly. There is a peaceful grove called Bari, which I am sure we all know. In nine nights' time I will meet Frey there and I will give him my love. Skirnir nodded and smiled. Then he strode into the courtyard, mounted his horse and was gone. He made his way back to Asgard and found the fretting Frey. He told his master that his love would be his in nine nights' time. One would have thought that Frey would have been immensely grateful, but it seems that his desire was so overpowering that the thought of waiting even this short time was too much for him. He moaned, Nine nights? One night is long, two nights too long. How could I bear three? Even half a night seems like a month. But he had no choice. Nine nights later, he stopped being miserable. The gods celebrated Frey's happy day enthusiastically. So enthusiastically, in fact, that they ran out of mead and ale. Now, Asgard without mead and ale is like Texas without guns. The gods, worried about the lack of their favourite beverages, sacrificed a small animal and dipped twigs in the blood. Then they shook them and the runes told them that Ayr, the god of the sea, should brew for the Aesir. Ayr didn't fancy this much, but he couldn't really say no. So instead, he threw a spanner in the works. He addressed Thor, the thunderer, son of Odin. I don't have a cauldron big enough to brew ale for the Aesir, he said slyly. If you can find me one, then of course I will brew for you. Thor, not always noted for his incisive brain, seemed at a loss for words. Fortunately, Tyr, possessor of only one arm but a keen mind, stepped forward. Thor, I know of a giant who has a cauldron a league deep. He is my father, Chimir. I will come with you on your journey. You must not let it be known that you are Thor the Thunderer. You will go in disguise and call yourself Ver. Thor, of course, was glad the decision was made. He picked up Mjolnir and grinned. He hoped fervently he would get a chance to use it. Strength was what Thor was all about, and he relished any opportunity to show it. Quickly they travelled to Egil's farm, near the Hall of Himir. There Thor tethered his two mighty goats... Tangoist and Tangisnir. The two Aesir made their way on foot to Himir's Hall, perched on a mountain by the sea. The first person they encountered was Tyr's grandmother. You might think this would be a happy event for the one-armed Aesir. Nothing could be further from the truth. Tyr did not have a great deal of love for his grandma, possibly because she was a monster with 900 heads. Thor looked at her with something approaching awe, while Tyr ignored her completely and entered the hall, there he saw his mother, beautiful, pale-skinned and decked in fine gold jewellery. She welcomed her son and his friend with goblets of ale, but she had a warning for them. I think you'd better hide under one of those cauldrons. You know how difficult your father can be with guests. Give me a chance to tell him you two are here. Thor and Tyr did as they were told. Before long, an ageing, ugly, bad-tempered giant strode into his house. Him here had been hunting and was cold and tired. Hello, dear, said Tyr's mother. We have guests. They are hiding over there by the pillar which supports the gable, under a cauldron. Your son is here with his companion Ver, a friend to all men and the enemy of Hrod. Himir get... Himir glared at the support, which seemed to take offence because it suddenly cracked. Eight cauldrons fell to the floor and smashed. Only one survived, the one behind which Tyr and Thor were hiding. They stepped out into the room. Hymir suddenly had a feeling of doom when he saw Ver. He knew that no good was going to come from this visit. He gave orders that three oxen should be slaughtered and prepared for a feast. Ver was clearly keen on this, and when the food arrived he showed it by devouring two of the oxen by himself. Hymir was astonished. He announced that they would all go hunting the following day, so there was enough food for the ravenous Ver. The following day, Ver asked his host for some bait. Hymir told him to go into the field where his herd was grazing and grab some. Ver strode off and found a fine black ox. He strode up to the beast and tore off its head. Bait! he grinned. Hymir and Ver, who was really Thor, took turns to row out to sea until they had gone as far as the giant wanted to go. Both baited their lines. Thor's bait was the head of the ox. Within a few seconds, Himir had landed two whales. He hauled them in, thinking they'd make a sizable meal, even for the gluttonous visitor currently sitting in his boat. Ver felt his line pull, and it was very clear to him that he had hooked more than a mere whale. From under the waves, the serpent bit at the head. Ver pulled and pulled, and the head of Jormungand, brother of Fenrir, child of Loki, emerged from the deep. The mighty serpent struggled violently, but Ver held on. Fist over fist he pulled with all his might, and his might was mighty. Jormungand could do nothing, much as he thrashed about, crazed and raging. Ver dragged the monster onto the boat, and then raised Mjolnir. He brought the hammer down on the serpent's head. The earth shuddered. The sea wolf shrieked, and his screams echoed off the mountains of Jotunheim and the underwater rocks of the deep sea. It seemed that the shriek was echoing off every stone in the Nine Worlds. Jormungand tugged against the line, and with every last ounce of his strength, he finally freed himself. With a final scream, the monster disappeared below the waves, and sank once more into the depths. Himir was shocked by what he had seen. He couldn't seem to concentrate on rowing back to the shore, such was his consternation. In the end, he told Ver that he'd done half the work, and it was now time for the guest to row the rest of the way back. The god, who had so recently been battling with the giant serpent, stepped out of the boat and picked up the prow. He raised the boat out of the water, not seeming to notice that it was still weighed down with the bulk of two whales. He pulled it to the shore and then dragged it up the beach, over a high wooded ridge and back to the home of Tyr's father. Tyr and his mother greeted them warmly. Himir, though, was not happy. Despite the fact that his visitor was clearly the strongest man he had ever met, he decided it was time for a strength test. Surely, after all the effort Ver had already had to exert, he couldn't have any strength left. He handed his guest what looked like a crystal goblet. If you are so strong, then smash this glass. Ver looked at his host quizzically and then took the goblet. He flung it at the wall, expecting it to shatter instantly, but remarkably it simply bounced and remained intact. Himir looked smug. Tia's mother leaned over and spoke to the visitor. Smash it over his head, she whispered. That glass may be tough, but his head is harder than the wall. The thunderer grasped the goblet once more. Again he threw it, but this time he launched it towards the head of the giant. Sure enough, even the amazingly tough glass couldn't resist the granite skull of Himir and it broke in two. Himir looked bereft. I never thought it possible, he moaned. I've lost more than a goblet. What's mine is yours. Take whatever you want. Thor, of course, chose the cauldron. Tyr tried to move it but couldn't. Thor, of course, could. He grabbed the massive vessel by the rim and hoisted it onto his shoulder. He strode from the hall, closely followed by a smiling Tyr. The two companions hadn't gone far when they turned to have one more look at the courts of Himir. Both were glad they had because they saw an army of giants and many-headed monsters, led by Himir himself, charging towards them. Thor set down the cauldron and raised Mjolnir. When he had finished, not a giant nor a monster remained standing. He had killed them all. Thor shouldered the cauldron once more, and they made their way back to the goats. Despite one of the goats collapsing on the way back, they were soon in Asgard, where the cauldron was presented to Ayir. The sea god looked at it and grumbled but he had been beaten. From that day forth, he made mead and ale for the Aesir, and many a party was enjoyed. Next time, Thor will go on another journey. If you like the podcast, then please go to www.mythandhistory2.podbean.com. There you will find a donation button. The podcast is, and will always remain, free, but any donations to help with hosting costs are, of course, Gratefully received. If you'd like to give me feedback or just ask a question, then please contact me by email mythandhistory at gmail.com or friend me on Facebook Paul Vincent Myth and History. So, have a great couple of weeks, and I'll speak to you next time.